And in this episode of Making It in Asheville, we sit down with Marilyn Ball of Speaking of Travel. Let's start with a quick soundbite from Marilyn. Being Having these kind of open-ended conversations, uh, to me, are so real. And I think that when I finally realized that, when I listened back over time to the conversations I was having, that's when I started to realize that I didn't really have anything to be nervous about because I was just being me. And like you said, I think, Sarah, it's, if nobody else listens, if I didn't have one listener, it wouldn't really matter because it's me being my authentic self talking to somebody who in turn is comfortable enough to be that their authentic self. That's the way I want to live my life. You know, like that's the baseline for me and for you. And I think that's why we've connected and been attracted to each other. Welcome to Making It in Nashville Season 4. This is a podcast where you get to hear the stories behind some of your favorite artists and businesses in town. Each episode, we interview a different local Ashevillian and we uncover how they're making it in Nashville, what they're making it in Nashville, and provide you with actionable insights from each conversation. And we're your hosts. That was Sarah and I am Tony. And we are a husband-wife team who moved to Asheville in May of 2019, almost a year ago. And since then, we've set out to answer a single question. That question is, how does one make it in Asheville? This podcast has been the result. Before we dive in, we just want to take a quick moment to talk a little bit about our sponsor for this season. Um, this is our first sponsor ever of the podcast. We're very, very excited to say that Range Urgent Care um, is our sponsor. And so Range, if you're not familiar, is located in uh, Asheville, North Asheville on Merriman and uh, they are a fundamentally different approach to urgent care, to let's say healthcare generally. The way that uh, I like to think about it is like in terms of vibes, way less DMV, way more REI. And the best part is not just the vibes, but it is the like transparent pricing. And so I have a fun and uh, interesting and uh, scarring uh, urgent care experience in my in my history and I will share it with you one day and uh, the the thing that I was left with was this fear that even the smallest injury and I'll point to it if you're on YouTube it's on my hand uh, could lead to hundreds or thousands of dollars in fees and that is just not the case with range urgent care so transparent pricing means that every time you visit it's $149 or it's less if you use a subscription which I have and we have a sponsorship special offer for you our listener uh, if you go to making it in com forward slash range you will get a free month with a membership, a annual membership to range, which is just $30 a month for a single standard membership. Yeah. And we think that this is really worth it um, for anybody who's perhaps self-employed or a small business here in town, because as many of you know, as we personally know, um, healthcare 
you know, traditional healthcare can be very expensive and um, very hard to have when, you know, you're just starting out or you're self-employed. And so this is a fantastic option to protect yourself and know that you can get affordable care. Um, and when you pay for this, the annual membership, again, you, you know exactly where you're going to be paying every month. You know exactly where you're going to be getting every month. Um, and so it just kind of gives you that peace of mind versus you don't know what the bill is going to be and you're going to have to pay out of pocket. Right. And we have uh, health insurance. And the issue for me historically has been that we have a very high deductible. We're healthy. We don't like. And so uh, knowing that I have to go thousands and thousands of dollars out of pocket before you know, air quotes, health insurance really kicks in. It helps me to know that whatever is up will cost me a very fixed dollar amount or just a singular uh, dollar amount every month. And so again, there's more to read and more to see on that. We'll keep it fast today, uh, but it's a really exciting opportunity. One that we were proud to share. Visit making it in Asheville forward slash range to hear about some of the services and all of the membership offers that they have. Yeah, and don't forget the .com, making it a Nashville.com forward slash range. <laughs> that is very important to remember. All right, and so this episode, episode 51 mm-hmm. of the Making It in Nashville podcast is with a very special guest, a mentor of ours, Marilyn Ball, who uh, has been in the podcast game for seven years, she said, mm-hmm. uh, and is like the sweetest heart the uh she's been in Nashville for about 30 years or over 30 years and she is just to me like living breathing community engagement uh and and support in the truest and realest form yeah and Marilyn has because she's been here for so long um she's seen a lot in Asheville she knows the city very very well in fact she wrote an entire book about the history of Asheville called the rise of Asheville Um, And so in this episode, we talk a lot about what Asheville was like 30 years ago and lessons that she's learned over the years of seeing businesses um, grow and the the city really collaborating together. We felt this was a really, really important person to interview at this time with COVID going on because it is, um, you know, a time where the community really is and needs to come together. And so we loved interviewing her. Um, Marilyn's podcast is called Speaking of Travel, and it's all about travel, as you can guess. And she interviews people all over the world and all over the country about their traveling experiences. Um, it's an iHeartRadio podcast. I definitely encourage you to give that a listen if you have a few minutes today, too. For sure. And so um, this episode, in uh, for, for a lot of reasons, is important to us. Um, it's the importance of thinking about community today it's knowing where we've come from um and she is as you'll see just absolutely incredible a sweetheart the transferables that stood out to me and you will get to hear more about them in the episode mm-hmm. are uh Marilyn seems to have a super skill a superpower of finding win-win wins for uh, in complex relationships um she has been in sales and in advertising and in marketing for um, you know, the last 30 years. And those skills to me are absolutely exceptional. And there are uh, lessons that we can learn by listening to her story and listening to this episode. And so without further ado, let's hop into episode 51 with Marilyn Ball. Please, please, please enjoy.
yours. I would love to just dive in and, and allow you to introduce yourself um, and we can, we can talk. Well, I'm Marilyn Ball. I uh, have a marketing and PR firm called 1212 Collaborative Solutions, also known as 1212 Marketing. I've lived in Asheville since 1977, so I've been here a long time. Uh, I also have a radio show and a podcast going on. This is my seventh year called Speaking of Travel, which was actually a little side hustle, just hobby that became a show on iHeartRadio and so cool. and a podca- podcast. Yeah, just kind of happened. Uh, well, it didn't just happen. Nothing just happened. <laughs> you made it happen. Right. <laughs> a lot of things went into making that happen. Uh, so, yeah, I've lived in Asheville a long time. This is my home. Um, in fact, it's really funny. I just have to kind of throw this out there with uh, social media being – what it is and people connecting now more than ever. Uh, There's been this whole train on Facebook with people that I went to high school with. So there, everybody's all kind of connecting and finding old pictures and putting them up. (laughs) Right. Remember when we went to ocean city and and then other people are finding it and they're coming on now. And um, so it's really put me in this place of, wow, look at what we were doing when I was in high school, not to age myself, but the people that I was in high school with went to Vietnam. You know, they were, in fact, a lot of these guys that we're connecting with now, um, you know, all these years later are Vietnam vets. (laughs) But back then they were just our, you know, drinking buddies and the guys that we went out with. And, uh, to to now talk to them like where did your life go when you came home because my family I grew up in Washington D.C. right at a time when all that was happening so you know it was very impressionable to uh, be a part of a movement of uh, you know coming together and uh, questioning authority and you know really like getting off the grid and saying, we're not going to do it this way. Seems like there might be a little foreshadowing about the the 2020 (laughs) world that we're living in now. Um, I know, right? What we'll say is uh, let's quickly pin that because I do want to get back into uh, the history and I do want to also talk about some of our, we've had some meaningful conversations about the world as it exists today. And then even just three months ago, like the first time we sat down and had lunch together, um, and how much has changed. And so um, to, to stay kind of present, I would love to hear more about, um, about your podcast, about your maybe more recent histories in marketing and PR. Because when we, uh, when we got to finally meet you after you know, seeing your book and hearing about you on Instagram and on Facebook and everyone saying, oh, you got to meet Marilyn, uh, one of the things that really stood out for us was like, oh, she'd be incredible as a salesperson for a seemingly anything. Uh, and it, and it, it, that looks like it was maybe part of your work professional history recently or, or I don't know, in the last little while. Well, that is where I am actually right okay. now. Um, be, 
being in the present, having lived in this community for all these years and coming here at a time when people were looking at a place to homestead where it was kind of off the grid, but there was a community kind of happening, but everything was boarded up. You look at Asheville today, I just saw a montage of photos and everything looks kind of boarded up. It's mm. kind of where it was back then. So I feel that we're really in a crossroads right now in um, how we all are going to kind of continue and create community. So when I first came here, uh, I, you know, I was a Montessori teacher. I taught in a, in a parent cooperative school, but eventually I went back to school and got my degree from UNCA in mass comm and went to work for an emerging ad agency. Mm-hmm. So I, to be able to put it in perspective, that was, um, beginning for me of uh, being uh, really embracing uh, this community that I had come here so many people had come here wanting to create community and now I got to market it and say wow this is such a great place you really need to come here Mm -hmm. all the time thinking what are we doing? <laughs> We're inviting everybody to come because we love this place so much and we want to create a local economy so we can live here and be able to support each other's dreams and passions. And yet over the years, all that worked because people came together and um, collaborated on marketing. It, we, we were able to create uh, uh, a brand if you will, mm-hmm. this is a place to really, um, to really settle when you're ready to get away from it all and, and be yourselves. Yeah. And over the years, that kept happening. And so just, just for context, because I think, you know, for our audience and also for ourselves, because we're new here and a lot of people that are listening to this podcast are relatively new to Asheville or um, perhaps considering a move to Asheville. What was Asheville like when you first came? Can you describe a little bit about what was going on just so we can get a better sense? Of course. It, so when we first came here, we were looking for farmland. That was our goal. So we had been looking all over. And when we got to Western North Carolina, we realized there was beautiful farmland. There was, uh, we were in Appalachia. And... Being in Appalachia was, uh, at that time, not unlike it was 100 years ago. People were living self-sufficiently on their farms and going to their neighborhood churches and other places of worship. There were communities of people here, and, and they were living off the land, and we wanted to do that. But at the same time, there was a downtown area that... Um, back in the early 20s, 1920s, had been a vibrant tourism mecca. Uh, There was Biltmore House, which of course was not, I don't even think they were really open to the public yet. Maybe they had just started. Um, But there were businesses downtown, uh, even though the buildings were in disarray and it was kind of boarded up, like I mentioned, and Mm -hmm. uh, kind of a sad looking place. It was like if you rubbed off the dirt and the grime, you could see beautiful Art Deco buildings. 
And because the city of Asheville had um, gone into debt uh, during the Depression, uh, they had made a decision back in the 20s that they were not going to do any revitalization in the community until that debt was paid off. So right when we were getting here in the late 70s, that debt had been paid off. And so the downtown area was wide open, but the Asheville Mall had been built. It was over in the east side of town. Mm -hmm. And the shops that were downtown, um, you know, there was a shoe store and and just your basic kind of stores were downtown. But there were also some little coffee shops that were start that were happening and the people who lived here that's something that I can't stress enough. These weren't the tourists. There weren't any tourists. These were the people our age, you know, who were just coming out of Vietnam and all of that. They, they were born and raised here in Asheville, uh, but they were the ones who were questioning authority and looking at life like we were looking at it. They were starting to create these little centers of uh, gathering spots like Malaprops and the captain's bookshelf. And there were a couple of uh, food co-ops. People were already, uh, Dinner for the Earth, which is now Earth Fair, had opened. So there were places where people could gather and start to get to know each other. But the, the city decided that what they wanted to do was to tear down 11 city acres, basically, uh, just raise it, tear it down, and build a downtown mall. That the only way people were really going to come to town was to go to a mall. And they did not want them going out to East Asheville. So they had already made that decision, um, unbeknownst to a lot of people, that, that that was in the works. So we're talking about Haywood Street, Walnut Street, Lexington Avenue, all of that downtown core and how long had you been in Nashville when that happened? Do you remember? About a okay. It was already starting to happen when wow. we got okay. there. We were yeah. hearing buzzes about that. Yeah. And suddenly somebody started uh, Save Downtown Asheville, this guy named Wayne Caldwell. And people got involved. And uh, that whole story was really the beginning of how Asheville emerged. Is this the, like, people stood hand in hand and, like, physically showed how much of downtown was going to get removed? Am I thinking of the right story? Something there, like was a, there was a young woman who was born and raised here. Her name is Peggy Gardner, and she was a student at UNCA, and she was an art major, and she was studying Cristo. You know Cristo? No. Count of oh, Monte. You- he, he does installations. He did a huge installation in Central Park in Italy. He's, he's very famous, Cristo. And uh, she was studying him and, and had this idea, what if we had uh, an installation, basically, inspired by Cristo, uh, and, and we circled the entire 11 city acres um, with fabric, and and we could show the um, oh sorry about that we could show the impact. Whoops, we're still good. We're we're here. Okay, <laughs> sorry. It's all right. Let me get back here. 
um, we could Atlanta, show yes, that. Mm -hmm. Yes. And uh, so she went to um, a local uh, manufacturer down on the river road and he, she asked him if he would uh, donate the fabric and he did. And he donated enough fabric and she gathered all these people and on a certain day at a certain time, uh, everybody went and raced around that area that TV people came and, re and uh, you know, re reported on it, the newspaper, and it went public. And that was the first time that the public knew the impact of what was happening. And over the next two years, uh, the Save Downtown Asheville people and the city uh, had debates. It became a big controversy, mm -hmm. a lot of sides, a lot of discourse, uh, but everybody moving together, like we're opposed or we're, or we're for, but let's argue, let's debate, let's come to common ground. Mm -hmm. And ultimately what happened was the people of Asheville and Buncombe County came to find out that in order for that mall to be built, there had to be a referendum, which meant they were going to pay for it. And they didn't know that. And once that came out, the the city lost and and we won. And what that meant was the beginning of the dialogue of, okay, what are we going to do now? And that's when the Downtown Preservation uh, Association was created. And that's when the, uh, that's when the city started uh, the room tax, the occupancy tax, money started flowing in for marketing. Uh, businesses started to emerge, but it was always based on local, always. There was always um, kind of a rule that we were not bringing in outside big stores, no chains in the downtown area. Mm -hmm. And so over the next 30, 30 years, that happened, uh, mm -hmm. you know, with 80% yeah. of our community being small business, yeah. as you know. Yeah, I love I love that. I love that particular story. And I'll just add one thing is that um, in your book, which we have a copy of the rise of Asheville, there are Thank some you. really, really fantastic pictures of showing what happened with that mall and people holding sheets up and there's just some really great little like, I don't know, tidbits of information in there that I would encourage people who are maybe new here to to check out. I mean, we have a YouTube channel. If you are watching on YouTube, here is a little visual aid. If you're listening on the podcast, check out our YouTube channel. Um, but we, yeah, that is awesome. And just to connect some mental dots, because I, I, I had a feeling that that was a story. We heard that through a mutual friend, uh, Kay Bentley, episode whatever, whatever, um, who shared that while looking over on um that you know downtown and the the mall and saying that this almost was can you believe it uh, removed from Asheville in the what would that have been the late seventies almost eighties? Yep, exactly. In so, fact, the the room tax, the occupancy tax, 
discussion started right after that happened. And the and that is a very important part of our history because the people who lived here, whose businesses were saved, they were going to take their businesses by eminent domain. They had no choice. So now their businesses are saved and everybody's uh, looking towards the future. But the only way that anybody felt we could create an economic development engine Mm -hmm. to create jobs, because that's really what it was about. It wasn't about bringing tourists and having, um, you know, having what ultimately happened at that time. It was how do we keep people living here in this community when it has gone so far down we have to bring it back up. And because tourism was historically uh, the driver, the economic driver for this region, uh, and Mr. Cecil from the Biltmore State, who owned the Biltmore State, uh, was a very active leader in this community. Uh, and there were other visionary leaders in this community. Uh, the idea was, why don't we look at what other cities are doing and impose a 2% tax on every room that we rent. The hoteliers said that. They said, we will pay that money out of our room tax, Mm -hmm. and that money can only be used for marketing the region. So when that was passed by the state legislators, they had about four or $500,000 because there were only a few hotels here. And with that money, they started a cool green Asheville campaign and created a marketing strategy around who would come here. What kind of visitors do we want to attract? Marketing research was very important and very involved. And nobody ever would have imagined fast forward to suddenly having a $25 million budget. Yeah, sure. I I want to go back to the second. What I want to kind of know what, what was going through your mind personally when um, the, the story of the mall was happening? Were you out on the street holding up sheets? Were you doing uh, something behind the scenes? Or like, what was happening for you personally? Well, by that point, um, there had already been a community. In the short time I was here, a year and a half, let's say, uh, we started, people started calling ourselves the Asheville 1000. In fact, we have an ongoing list of who those people are. Those were people who lived here and the people who had moved here who had all started a kind of a um, potluck community. You know, we all were doing organic gardening and we had hangout spots and we do contra dancing. And so the Asheville 1000, everywhere you went, you would see the same people. They were the core group of Uh, activists almost. So Save Downtown Asheville was comprised primarily by the Asheville 1000. We were all part of that. Oh, sorry. Um, We were all part of that. And Wayne Caldwell was our leader, uh, if you will. And so while Peggy had her group of people who were doing the, it was called the RAP, they called it the wrap. Um, the rest of us were putting up signs and uh, holding town meetings. So the day of the wrap, everybody was out for sure. But behind the scenes, everybody was um, 
they were they were working it to to get the word out and get people's minds changed and i think it was because of the times you know there was a lot of activism going on at that time a lot of rebellion and a lot of um you know not letting the man win we we took this cause so personally because our futures and our children's futures was at stake yeah. and we just we just love the people who lived here and their families and definitely didn't want to see all those businesses taken away. So if, if I were to then try and fast forward from, I'll call it around 1980 to around 2010, what were some of the biggest changes? What were like, how, how did your role in Asheville evolve over those years? Well, definitely when I started working for Kelso Advertising uh, in 1991, I had just graduated from UNCA and um, electronic media was just really coming out and uh, there was a lot of documentaries being made and, and our agency uh, worked primarily with tourism, hospitality and economic development. And in the early 90s, those industries were just emerging. Because between 83, when the room tax came to be, and 91, when I started at Kelso, uh, that train had just taken off. And our agency, we were very small. We were located right downtown on the corner of Lexington and Walnut. Um, it was, um, we, we, were, we were working with very rural tourism uh, counties. So... You know, our clients were uh, Swain County, Haywood County. Um, we worked in um, Murphy, all the way, all the counties west of Asheville and the Cherokee Indian Reservation. Mm -hmm. So the Cherokee were just coming into having tourism. We were hired as their agency. And, and our role was to really help the industry recognized that they had no money and the only way that they were going to be able to really create a brand and market was to work collaboratively and to um, to not look at each other as competitors but rather look at each other as players in a much bigger uh, package and that took time uh, to do it was an educational thrust yeah. but that's what that's what our agency did, and we were able to um, work with Asheville and Buncombe County, uh, you know, a much bigger uh, tourism uh, entity. And, and over time, uh, there was, well, at that time, too, I should definitely mention, is that we had, uh, the state of North Carolina had economic development agencies throughout the state and we had one in in western north carolina called advantage west and it it handled 24 counties and there was economic money that could be distributed to uh to entrepreneurs to small businesses to help drive uh, the economy and they recognized because of the work we were all doing in the tourism industry that tourism was an economic driver and they started contributing uh, 50 grand every year to membership organizations that were starting to form through tourism. So within those 10 years, a huge 
uh, industry growth started happening because we had economic uh, resources, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, counties and the attractions and the hoteliers and the small businesses all came together to leverage what little money they had into a bigger pot of money mm-hmm. so that we could market uh, uh, in Southern Living and our state and other big magazines. We worked with a lot of golf courses. We formed a golf association so all the golf courses could come together and, and leverage what dollars they had. And then we could buy ads in Golf Digest and Golf Magazine and say, uh, you know, come to the Great Smokies uh, golf trail. You can not only golf here at Etowah, but you can also golf here at Reams Creek. And, and over time, we were able to really uh, create this much larger brand mm. for those rural counties. And I felt that my role was uh, definitely being the person who was working with our clients to educate them and help them uh, develop these campaigns and, uh, and ways to get the word out. Yeah, when, when I think of our first kind of lunch together, one of the stories that stands out, and I wonder where this plots in your timeline, um, just kind of underlined how it seems that you have an incredible eye at identifying and presenting win-wins. Um, and so somewhere along the line, you uh, sold like, uh, was it like a rest stop? campaign to McDonald's or to Coca-Cola or to uh, something with respect to the Blue Ridge Parkway. I know that I don't have the story right, but something about that was like, oh, how innovative that you put, you took this opportunity to sell ads and have a, a wonderful project get funded by people who had extra money and wanted Awareness. Uh, can you tell some of that story and, and tell us where that plots? Well, if it, the story that I think about when you, it didn't have anything to do with McDonald's or okay. corporate, but um, maybe Bank of America. It was like a, it was somebody gigantic. It was just the biggest brand, is what I my mind remembers. Right. It was actually pretty local. Okay. Um, it was the Blue Ridge National Heritage Area, okay. which is a pretty big brand for Western North Carolina. Um, and they, you know, they get federal money, uh, to promote 24 counties as a heritage area, which is a pretty big thing, but they had limited funds and they really wanted to get the word out because they were new, uh, for people to understand what that was. So I had, um, an idea to, uh, collaborate with the Blue Ridge National Heritage Area and WNCW Radio out of Spindale and WNC Magazine, which was just starting and emerging right then. So, and this is something that I did very frequently, was to try to look at who are really, like, think of themselves as competitors, especially in the media, mm-hmm. um, and work together to... Um, to create uh, a shared uh, collaboration. So uh, WNCW and WNC Magazine and the Blue Ridge National Heritage Area sat down at the table together and they came up with this idea where uh, the Blue Ridge National Heritage Area would uh, 
have stories that they would give to WNC Magazine, who would then put them in the magazine, the stories, and WNCW would create a um, show, a radio show. So it all it all hooked in together uh, to make that happen. So that, and that's one of many stories. The, I think maybe what I what you were thinking about was a story that I had. Um, with Harris Cherokee Casino because I right. worked with um, you know because I worked with the tribe starting in 1991 we were very instrumental in helping the tribe when they uh, started Harris Cherokee Casino we we were on the ground and Harris brought us in as their local marketing uh, agency and I went on to work for Harris for 20 years 20 consecutive years uh, and there were many times where I would bring the media together, very competitive media partners, uh, into a playing field to help me create really great marketing strategies for the human resource portion, the job creation portion. And, you know, that takes a lot of um, diplomacy because for many years, uh, and even today, uh, especially media, consider themselves kind of competitors when really, you know, my mindset and my history is around collaboration and dropping those perceptions mm-hmm. that just because they're doing this and you're doing this uh, doesn't mean that you're against each other or fighting for the same audience. It's, it's much bigger and broader than that. Yeah. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about maybe your most successful ad campaign or media campaign that you worked on and, and why you think it was, um, why you think it worked so well. Well, I would go back to the, the cooperative advertising campaigns that we did every year. And, and the reason why those were so successful is because, uh, because it was such it was such a collaborative effort. Um, the media would come together with opportunities uh, that were based on exactly what my needs were for my clients. And so I would say to the media, here's, here's what we need for a year-long campaign. What can you bring to the table? And they would, be, they would get all creative about how we could do different ads and things like that. And then we would have a big meeting and bring all the tourism partners together and introduce uh, this co-op program for the year. So they were basically getting a value of, um, you know, maybe they were, they would come to the table for uh, a year long package for $12,000 when really one or two of those ads, if they bought them on their own, would cost $12,000. Instead, they're getting all the benefits of um, a campaign with inquiries and uh, and all that goes with a bigger spread. We used to do eight pages in our state magazine. It was a whole spread that was an insert in the magazine that was just about Western North Carolina. Uh, Yeah, I'm very proud of being able to take – 
you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, perhaps, and turn that into, you know, half a million dollars in, uh, in media spending. So as far as pinpointing one specific campaign, I feel that my agency was, we were successful in every campaign. Yeah. That was the nature of our business. Yeah. And, but and those I, were brilliant. <laughs> and and I, I love that. I think that the thing that I'm hearing and, and ex, you know, an exact example isn't, isn't necessary is that there's understanding people's incentives, understanding uh, what a win looks like for all of the parties involved and, uh, and having a dialogue or a conversation long enough to understand what is needed and what looks like a win and what the resources uh, are available that is the that's the thing and it seems like you do an exceptional job of assessing what's happening finding opportunity and making everyone feel like a they're participating um but b that they're sharing in the win and that's a that's a very special skill but it seems like it's one that's learnable and practicable um and that you can get better at over time does that sound fair Absolutely. In fact, I always take it back to being a kindergarten teacher because what you just described is no different than what you learn when you're five years old. And we forget that as we grow up. And so if we can remember everything that you learned in kindergarten, which I think somebody actually did. It's a book. Yeah, it's a fantastic book. (laughs) Well, there you go. Uh, that, That should be the way that we live our lives. And I think sometimes as marketing people, that's what our jobs are, is to remind people, uh, look, it's, it's not, this is not, you know, uh, there's not a big learning curve here. <laughs> it's just being able to trust. Mm-hmm. That's a big, big part of it. In fact, I did a, um, I'll just tell you this real quick. I did a, a sales uh, job for the Blue Ridge National Heritage Area when they were building their visitor center on the Blue Ridge Parkway. And they were putting in the visitor center uh, a new technology called an eye wall. It was something that somebody had seen and uh, it was basically what they were wanting to create was a map of the entire Blue Ridge Parkway that had a big uh, screen that you could pull across and things would pop up. It was a brand new technology, never before done. There was a company in New Jersey that that was making them. They were basically making them as a timeline for different banks and organizations. But we, our visionaries had this idea that it could be used as a map and that people would buy ads. So as you're going up the parkway, there would be, oh, at exit, you know, mile marker, 20, you can go to uh, Joe's fruit stand or whatever, mm-hmm. go to the Cherokee Indian Reservation. So they needed like $180,000 to build the eye wall. And they said, Marilyn, we'd like you to go out and sell that for us because you know everybody in tourism and you could do it. And I went, they sent me to New Jersey to meet the people who were creating it and, and they were trying to show me what it was all about. And I would make these appointments all the way up the parkway, all the way to Roanoke, Virginia, to meet with tourism people and businesses and tell them about this great eye wall and this great thing that I wanted them to be a part of. And they were like, well, can you show us what it looks like? No. Can you show us what it's, you know, what's the return on the investment? I don't know. 
you know, except that it's going to be the first advertising on federal land, had to get an act of Congress to, to approve that. And I called it faith-based marketing. You just have to have faith that what I'm telling you is going to be really, really great. And they were like, okay. And then it did get to be great. It was really great. It's still there. It's a living history to this region. Um, so that's a, when you talk about, about that, you have to remember that trust, creating relationships, that is what's so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is the story that I was uh, remembering and not able to. Oh, the eyewall story. The eyewall <laughs> story, and saying, you know, let's let's throw an ad in there. Which, you know, it's it's a. I think it's a funny thing. There are a lot of ways for businesses to make money, um, and one of the many ways is with advertising or through advertising or by allowing you know sponsorship and, and advertising and. Um, I've historically personally had a really mixed kind of opinion about advertising in so much as uh, there are good forms and then there are bad forms. Like a bad form is a spam email that like I didn't sign up for someone connecting me to someone and or someone purchased a list that I was on um, and emails me out of the blue. I don't like that. I think that's bad advertising. What you're talking about is here's this physical map and letting someone know that they're a mile away from Joe's fruit stand isn't spam. Like that's helpful. And whether that's just a, an example of what a decent advertisement looks like, um, or that is uh, somehow profound, I don't know. But I think, I think it again goes back to a what I would call a superpower of yours, which is attempting to create things that are valuable and and knowing that uh, audiences are valuable, communities can be valuable, um, visions and creating a shared future <clears throat> and doing that well is in and of itself valuable. And, um, and I'm wondering with this shared sense of, uh, of future, like where, and it's a little bit of a jump, but like where are you now and what are you thinking about as future for Asheville, for uh, your business, which is evolving, right? We're, we're now doing these remote interviews for our podcast, for your podcast. Um, when you think about like the faith of what the future holds for us as a community, for you as a business owner, for us as business owners, what, what things are coming up for you? Well, I've been really paying attention lately because this, I think, um, you know, being homebound, uh, businesses having to close up and let everybody go was so sudden. Like one day we were bustling, hustling, uh, community that was uh, thrust into, uh, I felt a lot of negative dialogue personally uh, around tourism and uh, infrastructure and, and money and greed and capitalism. And, you know, I, I was kind of at my wits end just in, um, trying to recognize who is this community. I, I really was. Um, and then this happened, and all of a sudden, uh, people started working together, you know, helping each other out. Uh, Kay Bentley, mm-hmm. you know, she's got a van. Her business is closed up. And I, I just want to, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just want to okay. present this, that this, this podcast is being recorded during the pandemic and yeah. everything is shut down, the coronavirus. 
just so anyone's oh, putting it in months, a, seven months later. later. <laughs> yes. So yes. with all that said, um, early April. Yeah. 20, being, 2020. 2020. We'll <laughs> always, it will live forever. Yeah, we'll yeah. But, but I guess what I was getting at was, um, you know, when, when looking at a timeline like what we've been talking about from the yeah. 70s to the 80s to the 90s and then the 2000s and, and getting to where we are today at, at 2019, let's say, by the, en- by the end of the year 2019, mm-hmm. things had hit, I felt, uh, a remarkable benchmark. Uh, they had put a, a, a stop to any hotel being built. There was so much public outcry of too many hotels, too many tourists. Um, but at the same time, businesses continuing to open up and be successful because of that feeder market who were mm-hmm. supporting them. And all of a sudden, it's, it's gone. It, that whole, uh, that everything is just uh, shut down. And, and, and being able to see those who are helping and being of service, um, you know, who have resources, I think that's, so that's where I see hope and, and, and goodwill in our community. Um, but how is it going to change? Where is it going to go from here? Uh, I think that's as wide open as how long are we going to be self-contained in our homes? Mm-hmm. We just don't know. I think once, um, well, I think what's most important right now and the focus for me personally that's giving me drive and motivation uh, is, is hearing people's stories and being able to archive people's stories because when all is said and done and the brick and mortar is gone and, and things are shut down, what will always live forever are the stories. And when I look at my career, writing my book, the rise of Asheville, Mm -hmm. um, you know, a series of stories about collaboration and building community, uh, those all those stories are so important to, for people to, to even step forward today, to be able to remember that, oh, yeah, there was a time when people recognized that people were hungry, and they made a phone call to some guy named Bob Ingle, who had a grocery store, and said, what do you do with all your food? And he said, I throw it out. And they said, you know, literally this one person who called him said, would you give it to us if we came and picked it up. He said, sure. And all of a sudden, people were like, who's got a truck? Who's got a hand truck? Where are we going to put the food? How are we going to distribute it? And today, Mana Food Bank is distributing meals to so many people every single day. Well, that was because somebody made a phone call and, and said, do you have resources we can have? We're going to have to get back to that level right now. That's yeah. how I feel. I think that's really important right now, especially because people, I think, have been for so long so dialed into this digital world that they forget sometimes it's just as simple as making that in-person connection with someone or giving, like you said, their van to you know uh, move food or whatever it is. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a really important important point. Do you think that you'll ever write another book or add maybe an addition to the rise of Asheville with more current stories? 
Well, now that I have uh, the capabilities here to do recordings and podcasts, mm-hmm. um, I'm finding that I really enjoy that so much. And of course, you know, I've been doing my speaking of travel. Uh, this is the seventh year, so I've interviewed over, well, going on 350 people. There's a book right there um, at some point. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you, you could hand that to somebody and say, find me the book, you know, like, because the, the asset of the information is already there. Now it's just a mining uh, experience. And I don't know if you or we are positioned to be our best, you know, miners. There are other people who seem to be better than me at that. Um, I call that higher to your weakness. I think that's a... That's so true. We are we have not yet hired to our weakness. We are looking forward to the day where we're handing um, work off to people. And one of the things that has stood out for us is like we now have a podcast sponsor. So somewhere either in the beginning or the end or maybe both or and in the middle, who knows, there will be a sponsor on this episode. And I want to give you a on air uh, you know, recorded shout out for supporting us through that process because uh, what you model for us is something like what you're uh, talking about in the future, which is um, there's a world where we each have a podcast. And so because of that, we are somehow, uh, I don't know, in, in opposition, right? As though to say, if your podcast grows, ours shrinks, or if ours grows, yours shrinks. And that's not necessarily a wrong perspective. It's not my perspective. I can understand if someone were to assume that, but I don't believe that podcasting is a zero-sum game. I think that it's a positive-sum game. If your audience grows, ours has the potential to grow. This is all good. Good things. Having you on our podcast, great thing. Um, But when we sat down, like there are many ways to have a conversation with someone who is in your field. The way that you treated us, advised us out of the gate, it empowered us. It left us feeling even more confident than we had going into the meeting with you. And it is, if not the reason, a very real reason why we have a sponsor and why if there is a chance that we offload some of this work to someone, we now have a little bit of money to do it. That's amazing. And I want to thank you for that. Well, thank you. And I have to say, I, I just knew when I first met both of you that you had the passion and the vision to to do exactly what you're doing and that you would be very successful. So I say, right on. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I'm wondering when, when you think about where you are in your podcast today, seven years in from where it started, I mean, clearly you're on iHeartRadio now. So like there are, have been things that have changed, but how have you changed? How has your podcast changed? Um, like when did you record the first episode it was seven years ago what stands out and and how's that different from today well I have to say I'm glad you, that you asked because just recently because we've had more time on our hands uh, I was going through some old boxes from my Kelso days you know when I left the company 11 years ago you know how you put things in boxes and uh, so I've been looking through some boxes and went down the the line and I found this um, CD that said, speaking of travel. And I was like, what is that? And I put it in and it was actually some of the first episodes, the very first, like the first seven episodes I did were on this CD. So I listened because I don't have, I didn't 
think I had them. Uh, because when I first started, you know, I was, um, I was never like thinking of myself as being a radio host or having a show, but, um, I had a friend who was starting a small radio uh, network, a community network. And I had found out that he was doing this and I went to him and I said, would you consider having a show uh, where I talk to people about travel? And the reason that had even come up was because I'd been in a decade of traveling. I'd been really fortunate to have a whole 10 years of being able to travel, but it was coming to a, a hiatus and I knew it. And it was like, how can I keep this love of travel? Well, in Asheville, you can't go out to a party or anything without somebody telling you where they've just been or where they're going, which I think has a lot to say about the richness of this community. People do go away and come back and bring those ideas with them. Anyway, he said, sure, no problem. You know, let's do a pilot. A pilot. I'm so excited. And remember, I'd been in media for you know, 20 years at that point, I knew I was on the other side of the media, uh, buying the media, not being behind the microphone. So I brought in my friend Peggy, who had been in the Peace Corps in South Korea back in the day, and had been invited by the South Korean government to come back, and uh, they were honoring all the Peace Corps volunteers. We, we she, just met someone who was on that same trip, uh, or has maybe there's many versions of that trip, but uh, Joanna Fiorentino's. Uh, well, they could so be funny. connected anyway. Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, she was my very first guest and she was my friend and I knew her and I knew her story and she talked and she had owned a travel agency. So she was like, she was like the travel vortex for me. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was a 30 minute show. I didn't have any sponsors. I didn't really have any listeners, but Every week I would go in and, uh, and I would tape the show. I had a producer. And so over, over those two years that I was there at that independent radio uh, station, I started to realize, I think this is something that I'm good at and that I want to make bigger. And that's when I went to iHeart, I, who I knew, and I said, would you consider uh, putting my show on? on iHeart. And it took me probably about six months to convince them that it was worthy of coming over. And when they did, which was, uh, this is the fifth year now in April at iHeart, they gave me a producer, Randy Houston, who was actually a producer of mine in 1991 uh, when I was with Kelso. We used to have to do voiceover at the radio station. And he was our guy. Wow. And here he was now, my producer, and the show went to an hour-long show, and I had the capability of talking to people all over the world. And so I, I realized this show wasn't just about travel at all. It was about uh, people who took risks, people who made big, sweeping changes in their lives, um, traveling, uh, creates a sense of flexibility, you know, like you were saying, being able to make changes on the, on the fly, uh, thinking quickly, being safe, so many things that week after week after week after week after week, I was being inspired. Like, I am 
literally it's like putting you know just putting it straight into my arm like (laughs) (laughs) this is so invigorating for me uh how could i be anything but optimistic and positive in the way that i live my life uh by listening to these people every single week talk about these wonderful things. And, you know, right now I'm booked into June. People are finding my show and saying, we want to be on your show. We want to be a part of what you're doing. That makes me very proud. And it has created, at least in my perception, um, a sense of uh, service. Like I'm creating optimism and inspiration and education and resources for people. And in return, they're going out and doing things that I look at as being exceptional. Uh, And now, you know, being, oh, your show is about travel and nobody can travel. What's going to happen? I've kept the guests scheduled. Um, I've modified a little bit. Well, of course, I'm not in the station anymore. So I'm having a new learning curve in how to do my own recording. Randy is there. Uh, on the other end, putting the show together. But I have uh, modified so that every week I have a 10-minute segment with Tina Kinsey from the Asheville Regional Airport. Uh, She comes on and talks about what's happening at the airport because it's open and people do have to get in and out. Uh, You know, the airport is one of our most important infrastructure hubs. Uh, So, that I feel is very important. And then I've been uh, bringing in people in the community uh, to talk about the service that's happening here. Uh, always have a travel story somewhere, but it's just, I've tried to modify for the times. Um, yeah, you don't want to be tone deaf. And I, I think that's something we thought about right. too. Um, and it's so funny that you say it's like every week, it's just so invigorating. I get to hear this new story because we feel the same way in so many ways with this podcast. It's like we would do this even if it, we're not making really anybody from doing this, right? Like we're just doing this because we enjoy doing it. And, and whether or not we recorded and published a conversation, it's fantastic just to have an excuse to sit down with uh, successful people people who are you know making it a national in some way so just just humans the depth that you can get in a conversation with anyone where um you just give it space and uh, allow for whatever to come up is incredibly powerful Um, and and it's archival that's that's the most beautiful part i was a big i've always been a big fan of StoryCorps on NPR. Uh, They actually came to Asheville for six weeks and the Blue Ridge National Heritage Area sponsored StoryCorps. They go around in an Airstream, that's a studio, to different cities. And then people come in and they interview each other, like a dad and a son or a grandparent or whatever. And those stories are archived at the Library of Congress. Every one of those story stories are archived. And I feel that every story that we do, that I do, that you do, that other podcasters are doing, where they're talking to people now, um, that they're archived. You have them. They might not be sitting at the Library of Congress, but they're recorded. And, and the people who you're talking to always have that um, to keep with them. 
you can't really put a dollar sign on that yeah, at yeah. all. You can. We, have, have, we also have a, a friends, a couple, and they have their own podcast called Husband and Wife Talk. And uh, one of the things that they always say, they're like, even if we don't have any listeners, it's so cool because when we have kids, we're going to be able to give these to our kids and they're going to be able to listen to us forever, you know, and then pass that on to their grandkids. I mean, assuming that the technology is all going to be compatible with you know, whatever is the future, whatever. but <laughs> I have, <clears throat> excuse me, I have a, a nine-year-old uh, granddaughter and I'm very fortunate uh, that she lives three doors down and we're kind of all together in our mm-hmm. quarantine pod. So uh, she, you know, is having to do home study now and not be with her friends and such. So she and I have started a, a podcast. Uh, it's called Real Kids, Real Stories. And she comes over once a week and uh, she actually calls me from my upstairs phone. Mm-hmm. So she's sitting upstairs. She calls me and she writes out um, each week uh, the questions that I'm going to ask her, you know, is it easy for you to be home with a sibling? Uh, Does it ever get boring without your friends by your side? What kind of schedule do you have? Is it easy to keep up with your schedule every single day? I ask her these questions and Mm -hmm. she answers them. Right. I know. And so now I want to take it out to other people's kids Mm -hmm. and have, uh, you know, a weekly like episode of real kids, real stories talking about what is it like right now? Yeah. Yeah. Because we I can do that. I, yeah. Yeah. And I, where, I forget where we where I heard this, but it, it was something to the effect of, you know, oh, I think it was Brene Brown was listening to a podcast with Brene Brown. And, and she was just talking about how everyone is grieving right now everyone even even your three-year-old or five-year-old like they are grieving because they've lost their world in their life and that we need to recognize that and we need to um you know understand that that is a real loss and so well that's what actually sparked it was um she's been so positive for what i consider a long time already um with this new reality of riding her bike and sitting in front of a computer and learning how to do Zoom calls with her friends and her teachers. And uh, I could tell she was just a little down. And I said, you know what, why don't you come into my studio and let's, let's, record, let's record us talking. And the first one we did was just her and I talking. It's very candid. And that's when the light bulb went off in my head. Wow, she really needs to talk about this. And being able to do it kind of anonymously like that mm-hmm. um, was very deep. That first one was, uh, it was really very deep. In fact, I'll send you the link so you can, you can listen. Yeah, to I was going to say, can, is, it, is it public? Can you <laughs> Yeah, I, I made a, I created a Buzzsprout podcast platform right. uh, and we'll start to upload them on there. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm all in on that, I think. Um, and the, the beauty for me in that is, A, your granddaughter gets to voice things that uh, could otherwise be pent up in and of itself powerful. But there is, uh, I will say, our greatest lesson of 2019 was just 
in creating content consistently. Uh, any content, in, in my opinion, is powerful, but audio content is particularly powerful because um, there's an, an ability to create depth in tone. Like I could have written, we could have written this down, right? We could have transcribed it and put it, pushed it onto the internet. But if you can hear your voice and hear our voice and hear how Sarah delivers uh, the same sentence as me, it just, you, you're, there's something really special in that. And I think that learning the skill early, getting comfortable in that skill early, realizing that uh, you can create something that can, other people can participate in, that is such a amazing skill that I, I you know, to learn at 31 or to learn at 40 is, I don't think as, I mean, it's great, learn it whenever, but if you can learn it at nine, that's really awesome. It is it's really a, awesome. Imagine what you'll be able to create and feel comfortable creating at 20 if this continues. It's just, it's, it's an exponential thing, I, I suspect. I think so too. And, I, and at this point, I'd like to give a shout out to you because you were so nice to do that. Uh, when you talk about 2019 and developing your content, uh, you really went like feet first and started uh, lining up people and, and talking to people and really finding out how people are making it in Asheville. And when you started to create the gatherings, bringing these people together, uh, I went the first time and it was it was phenomenal. I mean, here you are, you're new to town, you're, you're new to even this industry, and yet there was this amazing group of people, kind of reminiscent of the Asheville 1000, I have to say, you know, creative, like-minded people who were all there because of you, because of you both. And someday when we're able to go back and do those, uh, I know I'll look forward to having you bring just even all your guests together yeah. uh, was a great foundation, but then everybody else who came, obviously there's uh, a need and a, um, a desire to, to be a part of what you're doing. So good for you. Thank you. We really appreciate it. And, and we are doing, I'll just, I'm going to do a little shameless plug. We okay. are doing, <laughs> we are doing the Monday Maker Mixers uh, virtually yeah. oh good making things up a little now and the last one we did was actually really great it was really intimate um we had a lot of people share resources and connect a lot of thoughts so that was that was great but yeah if, if anyone listening would yeah. like to join in the next monday maker mix for virtual or in person we'd love to have you that's well, great there's a there's some really cool functionality so we used google hangouts the last time we're going to use zoom on this one um, but there's some really cool functionality and depending on how many people show up, even if it's a small group like that, that first event blew our kind of doors off. We couldn't have in our wildest dreams have expected. We had 80, almost 90 people RSVP and 60 something people show up, which is, you know, for the longest time, we really felt confident that we were putting podcasts out into the universe that we just were not being listened to. Like even my mom was like, oh, I wanted to listen, but I, you know, I couldn't find time, which is understandable, right? Like it was, it was a for us thing, but also we imagined that there could be value in it. Uh, and so all those people showing up is special. And if people show up, 
more than we'll call it 10 or eight, um, which seems likely. Uh, there's some really cool functionality in Zoom to create breakout groups and allow for intimacy and more people talk, like able to talk, because when you have 20 or 30 or 40 people, everyone needs to be on mute, otherwise it's just chaos. But you can do fun things like breakout groups um, and facilitate a smaller scale conversation and do things that feel like actually connecting versus looking at a gallery of 30 other faces that aren't saying anything. Yeah. There's such a learning curve going on right now. We're all learning these new yeah. uh, techniques and, and gathering new resources. Yeah. And, and, and it's amazing. Last night I was on a call. One of our guests' name is Gareth Higgins. He's, he was episode 42, I want to say. Um, he puts on this movie festival in town and has a couple other projects. And he launched a project which feels something like you might be into uh, called Dreaming the World. And he's got this whole big vision of putting together a course with like 190 films from every country that's ever produced a film. So like at least one from each one and then have like an education program. He's starting with one, one film per continent uh, in the first version of this class. And so the first Google or uh, Zoom call for the participants was last night. And uh, there were like, there was over a hundred people that showed up to this call. And I, I was uh, one of, two or three people that look to be in their 30s. The majority were, you know, retirement age or older, like decidedly older. Um, and everyone was using Zoom. And I thought it was, <laughs> that was the coolest thing. Like, you know, whether it looked like they were maybe holding it on their cell phone or it was down on the like, cell phone on a table. But like, you know, there's, there's at least 15 different couples on this call together. And I can't get over how cool that was because if we were here, if, if a pandemic were to have occurred even 10 years ago, the ability to connect like we're able to connect right now, the ability to have this uh, Zoom call and look into what feels like your eyes and see your smile uh, wouldn't have been possible. And I am so honestly thankful that we're able to use tools like Zoom or Google Hangouts or uh, FaceTime to get to see my niece, to get to have conversations with you and get to hang out with a hundred people who I would never, even if, especially if there wasn't a pandemic, I would never have gotten to meet them or have a breakout group with them. It's amazing. I'll tell you a little story that uh, my, my granddaughter told me, and it was just, again, very candid, but it, it rings to that. You know, here they are, these little third graders now learning how to use this technology. And she said that when they go into their study uh, sections, they can see the other students who are there at the same time, which I thought was kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, what does that feel like to see these other kids who were your classmates? And she said, well, it's really cool because... I, some of these kids, even though they've been in my class, I didn't really know them. I didn't really know who they were. And now I can even just click on them and start a, a, a conversation with them. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, how cool is that? And how um, perceptive, too, that 
in a class of 25 kids, she recognized, oh, these are my friends over here. I don't really know these other kids. But suddenly now through this technology, oh, there's, there's that kid who sits in the back who I never knew. Now I know who it is. I love that. I think that's, that again, it's that kind of hope for the future of, okay, things are definitely different. Uh, and we're not sure what is the new normal, if there ever is going to be anything like that. But in the present, there is this new way of communicating. And that's okay. It is. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I'm willing to bet there's a lot of really um, good things that are going to come out of this. And that a lot of us are going to be a lot better at communicating using technology than we were before. Yeah. And, and go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, I, I've never personally been a big fan, not a big fan. I've just never had really uh, the inclination to sit on webinars and mm-hmm. online classes. It's like, oh, you know, my, my list of to-do things doesn't really allow that kind of time. Well, now I do have that kind of time. So I'm very um, observant and focused, but I'm starting to recognize oh, look, I just spent an hour and I learned so much by taking this online class or being a part of this webinar uh, to where I want to learn myself now how to do online classes Mm -hmm. so that people can come to me and I can be teaching but not going out. Yeah. Yeah. Even when I can go out. (laughs) (laughs) Same. That's, uh, I think that you're, you're onto something. You're seeing around the bend as are we. Um, and so for a uh, hopefully smooth transition, I, what I hear us all saying is that the world is changing fast. And so with that in mind, let's move into a speed round. We're going to ask you a couple of questions okay. that do not require fast answers, but we are attempting to create a segment we're calling a speed round. And so we'll lead it with this question. What book, if any, are you reading right now? I just actually put down a book called The Paris Photo. The Paris Photo. It's um, a a novel that's kind of a historical fiction Mm -hmm. of um, that goes from World War II uh, in France to today and back and forth. Uh, a woman writer who came to Malaprops and did a talk that I wasn't able to see. But right before all this happened, I had gone into Malaprops, saw it on the shelf. It was a signed copy, and I just put it down. I love that. You're traveling through books. Two, two <laughs> thumbs up on, on Definitely. the Paris. Okay, cool. Yeah. Fantastic. What's the, your favorite place that you travel to? Well, I've been very fortunate to travel to a lot of places, but I would, what always comes to my mind first is Cuba. Mm-hmm. I've been there a couple of times and um, I just love it so much. The people and the, and they're, you know, unfortunately are being hit really hard right now. So yeah. Yeah. always sending thoughts to them. Yeah. Love that. Um, how about your, and I imagine this might be hard to, to pin exactly, but your favorite thing or things to do in Asheville? Well, I love to walk. So walking in neighborhoods is one of my very favorite things. And I'm fortunate right now, I've lived in Weaverville 
for since I first moved here in 77. And I've never really had a chance to just wander around the whole town of Weaverville because it goes way back. So that's been my, uh, my get out and go do something is to walk. And I have now walked pretty much every inch of Weaverville, <laughs> which I'm so glad that I, that I live here. But I love to walk. So that's, that's one of my favorite things. Love it. Great answer. All right. What's the most perhaps uncomfortable thing that you've done but had a, a good ending? Ooh. Um, well, I would say starting this podcast was really uh, that first time that I uh, had my interview with my friend Peggy. I was so scared and so nervous. And listening back to being able to pull, find that and listen to it, it was like, oh, my God, was that really me? I, was, I can't tell you how nervous I was to get behind a microphone uh, and hear my own voice. And um, be, I, I was embarrassed, to be honest with you. Like, oh, my God, I was embarrassed. But now I feel like it had a really great ending. Yeah. Or wow. a new beginning. Yeah, fantastic. I, Definitely I, can relate to that a little bit. sure. I, I suspect <laughs> that that's always the case. Like, I, I'm a big believer in the best time to start would have been a year ago. Otherwise, it's right now. Um, and our, you know, your first whatever is always going to be some version of embarrassing or bad. Um, so I'm so glad that you started. We're now going to play word association. Oh, boy. You guys... Game Asheville. players, <laughs> Asheville community. What happens in your brain? What what happens next? Well, collaboration is always what happens in my brain. Um, Asheville community come together. Uh, that to me is the most important part of. I feel the whole history of where we are today. Why you even wanted to come here uh, is playing playing together in the sandbox. Sharing, being nice to each other. Exactly. Kindergartners. Fantastic. We will have links to everything I needed to know I learned as a kid in our kindergartner. It is a great book. And it's just, a great book. Yeah. That's just timeless. One of, yeah, one of the, the one of the stories though, right? That like it's a whole kind of mixed. Yeah, yeah, of. exactly. Though there's one story called that in the whole book. It's a compilation of all the stories. Last question is, if we had a magic wand or someone in our audience had a magic wand, what one thing would you ask for from them? Hmm. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I guess it would be... Um, hmm. It can also be something super simple that you just want. Yeah, like I was maybe thinking you're of like a smile, you know, <laughs> that if, if there was somebody out there who had a magic mm -hmm. wand, they could um, just put a smile on everybody's face. Because, uh, you know, times are tough. Things are different. Um, you know, there's so many mood swings and people going through different things. But uh, somebody told me a long time ago, a, a person of great wisdom that the greatest gift you can give um, is a smile. 
and I like to always feel that that's something we we just all need to pass around. Uh, there is a, abundance. There is no, you know, you, you don't lose anything when you give that one away. Exactly. Uh, and I think that that is a great ask. Uh, we will champion that. We will. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see that Sarah and I are showing teeth <laughs> with our smiles. I love that. <laughs> and I do, I do want to say something else too, be, be, to be sure that I get this out there before we before we go is uh, there was a woman here in Asheville for many, many years. Her name was Laurie and she had a restaurant downtown called Laurie's. Uh, she was a very active in our community, very important leader, visionary. And uh, she was an inspiration to so many people. And she coined a phrase, uh, don't postpone joy uh, after battling cancer many times and, you know, riding her bike across the country for uh, cancer research and just a, a, such a valuable human being. And to this day, you can still find bumper stickers that say, don't postpone joy. It was plastered everywhere. Um, when I end my show, I always say, you know, go out and have a great week and you know, go take a walk in nature and remember life is short. Don't postpone joy. Uh, and I asked Laurie's sister if she would mind if I use that when I first went on to iHeartRadio and she said, Laurie wanted that to be universal. So I, I'm passing that on uh, to you and to your listeners that, you know, we have to be able to, to look at life and not postpone joy be in it now. I love that. Thank you for sharing that with yeah. us and with everyone. Okay. Um, Marilyn, where can we find more information about you and your podcasts on the internet? I have a, a website is speakingoftravel.net. Mm -hmm. And when you go to speakingoftravel.net, you can uh, click on the uh, landing page there and it will take you to all my past podcasts. So, and there's a description so you can see who the person is and what the topic is. Um, I've interviewed you know, musicians, authors, uh, pe just people who travel and, and people in the industry. Uh, great stories can be found there. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Marilyn. Thank you. Um, and I will just say, too, that you can go to Malaprops and find my book, The Rise of yes. Asheville. Uh, you can also find it at, uh, well, I guess, I guess all of those places are closed. So you could go to Amazon <laughs> and order today. For sure. We will. Well, and is Malaprops open for delivery? Oh, delivery they might books? be. Delivery. I heard that so they might call. be. Yeah. Well, let's put a plug in. I always yeah. like to support my local bookstores. Same. We mm -hmm. absolutely will. We'll. Um, Yes, so we'll have links to your book, to Malaprops, to all of the, we took a lot of notes. Uh, all Good. of the notes will be linked to on our show notes page. But uh, Marilyn, thank you so much for your hospitality. Thank you so much for the warm welcome and the um, ad advisor role that you play in, in our world. It means a lot. So thank you again. I'm so glad. Thank you. Thank you. 
And that was episode 51 with Marilyn Ball of Speaking of Travel. What an absolute sweetheart. So we didn't necessarily go into all the detail up front, but we mentioned it in the episode itself. Marilyn has been like this incredible advisor to us. She's empowered us. She's supported us. And um, we cannot honestly thank her enough for the way that she's welcomed us into this community. She's opened doors and connected us with folks in town. And I think that that is um, the model that we aspire to live into. Yeah, absolutely. And she's shown us a lot about Asheville Mm -hmm. that um, we might not have learned otherwise and are taking some of those lessons and applying them to our own approach to community and collaboration. So we thank Marilyn for a sure. ton <laughs> for, for her sure, for advice sure. and her wisdom. Um, we mentioned a couple of things during this episode, including her, Marilyn's book and her podcast and a few other local Asheville things. So if you want to learn more about all of those things, you can visit our show notes page at makingitinashville.com forward slash zero five one. We have all the links there and plus know a little more information about everything oh for sure and if you enjoyed this episode please let us know and the way that you would do that depends on the platform that you listen to us on if you're listening on a podcast please follow the link in the description on the podcast to apple Podcasts, where you can leave either five-star review or a comment about uh the episode and, and what you enjoyed those comments and reviews help other people find this podcast. It helps the stories of our guests like Marilyn get told, um, and it helps this community grow even bigger and stronger. And so for that, we thank you. If you happen to be listening on YouTube, a like, a subscribe, all of that is helpful as well. And then the last thing that we'll say is that um, if you if you can, and if you're interested, we'd welcome you to join our email list where the real magic happens. Uh, it's one thing to get the podcast episodes each week if you're subscribed on the podcast player or on YouTube or whatever. It's another thing to, to participate with us and communicate with us in our email list because that's where we share uh, some behind the scenes, some extra info about some of the episodes. And it's where we announce our community events primarily. And so... Uh, we welcome you to join our email list. And the place to do that is at makingitinashville.com forward slash subscribe. Uh, we want to take a quick moment again to thank our sponsor for the Season Range Urgent Care. Um, as we mentioned in the beginning of the episode, you have a chance to get a free month of mm. any annual membership at Range Urgent Care. Um, this is only for Making It in Nashville listeners. And you can visit makingitinashville.com forward slash range to learn a little bit more about the services that they offer, um, including low cost, transparent pricing and subscription memberships. It's such a gift mm-hmm. in, in, a, in a world or in, at least in a community, in a culture that has like a very, very uh, complex, overly complex uh, healthcare system. It is a breath of fresh air to have something in our backyard that offers uh, such a new take on healthcare. Uh, it's something that I'm very excited to champion, um, and I, I hope that you check it out. So one more time, making it nashville.com forward slash range. Our other sponsor of the season, as always, is making it creative. And so Sarah and I, if you don't know, have our own uh, marketing, sales strategy, consulting, digital strategy, like we, are working with businesses here in Asheville and uh, across the country on thinking strategically about their business, 
about their audience and about the opportunities that are before them to make a deeper relationship with their audience and grow their business. And so sometimes that looks like marketing and traditional kind of marketing strategies. Sometimes it looks like sales strategies. Sometimes it looks like optimizing websites for conversions and SEO. Uh, If you're interested in having a conversation that sounds like something we just said, please visit makingitcreative.com and it is very easy to reach out to us there and let us know what you're thinking. We also want to take a moment just to remind you about upcoming Making It in Nashville events. So right now with COVID-19 happening, we are taking our events online and offering virtual events. Um, We will have our monthly Monday Maker Mixer. Oh my gosh, I don't know why that was really hard to say. (laughs) It's like too many M's. Um, We'll have our monthly Monday Maker Mixer at the end of the month on the last Monday of April. It will be virtual. Um, We're going to have some really fun uh, questions. We're going to break out into small groups. Um, You're going to get to meet a lot of people that are local here and perhaps get to figure out some local resources that you might not have otherwise found. Yeah, I mean, the the thing that stood out of me to me about our last Monday Maker Mixer is that mm-hmm. uh, perhaps even more powerfully than any of our others, which were only two, uh, but there was very real uh, community building. There was very real communication and there was um, there was va- like explicit value. And, and so yeah. I'm excited about this evolution of our community building into this digital world, into, uh, you know, Zoom, where we can do breakout sessions and and facilitate conversation in a way that might have been harder or uh, more complex in, you know, physical space. Yeah. Or in a bar. (laughs) So uh, if you're interested in that, please, the place to visit would be Mm -hmm. making it in Asheville.com forward slash subscribe or just our homepage. Uh, If you're on our email list, you'll be the first to know when those. I guess RSVP slots go uh, get announced. Yeah, definitely. And we also have some other um, events and courses coming up as well. So again, definitely get on our email list so that you can be the first to hear about those. That's where we announce everything first. Perfect. And so episode 51, Sarah, I'm not the best at math, but if we've been doing an episode a week and we're on episode 51, Does it mean that next week is a one-year anniversary? Or did we publish two in one week once? I I think think we're really close. I think we published three in the first week that we launched. So so I think we started creating our podcast episodes around this time, but we hadn't published them. So it's hard to say. It's like almost our anniversary. I know. So today, (laughs) when we record this, is Sunday, April 12th, Easter Sunday. Uh, and we are officially, we've officially owned the website, making it in Asheville for one year. Yeah. Nuts. Bananas. Bananas. <laughs> so uh, thank you, listener, for making it this far in episode 51. Thank you for sticking around and being a part of this community, joining in the first year. Uh, it means the world to us that anyone listens to this other than our moms is seemingly a miracle. And so uh, we are in your debt and at your service. And thank you so very much for being a part of this. And with that, high five, Sarah. High five.